Sunday and this is what we do on a Sunday afternoon and or you know it's the right thing to do on a Sunday we go to church but we're here to have an expectation that God's going to move in our life amen see you have to come in with expectation in your heart and you know the Old Testament says that if you see the face of God you will die but we're New Testament born again spiritual believers amen and they tell us we need to die to see his face come on so today when you they're going to finish off this chorus again and, and Dorian, Brother Dorian's going to preach. And, but you need to understand that you have to come with a heart of expectation. That when you walked in today, the Holy Spirit walked in with you. That the presence of God lives within the side of you. That's all about Him, amen. There's a story about Zacchaeus, a short man. And there was a crowd following Jesus and Zacchaeus wanted to see what's going on, but he ends up climbing up a tree and Jesus turns around and says, I'm having dinner at your house. If there's anyone that shouldn't be climbing up a tree to get known was Zacchaeus because he was stealing money off the people through taxes. But yeah, he climbs up because there was something inside Zacchaeus, even though he was in sin, they had an expectation that he needed to see the Lord. And he comes to his house and Jesus doesn't tell him he's sinned. Jesus doesn't tell him that he's wrong. He just brings his presence in his home. And in the midst of that fellowship, he says, Lord, everything I've stolen, going to give back four times. And he says, truly salvation has come to this house today. Because there was an expectation that light had come into the world. But you may be walking in darkness. You might feel darkness is upon you. But listen to me, have an expectation. Because if you don't honour the man of God up here, you will never receive honour yourself. The man comes in, he preaches the word. You need to have an expectation that God, through this man that's going to preach, that you will receive. Amen. No one received nothing without honor. The only time Jesus couldn't do many mighty miracles is in his hometown because they did not honor him. Not honoring the man as the man, you're honoring the man of God that's flowing through him. Amen. Who needs a word from the Lord today? Who needs a word from the Lord today? Have an expectation of worship in your heart. Show me your face, Lord. Love you, Jesus. We worship you as King and Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have 
the privilege to sit at your feet. We thank you, Lord, we come together as one body, one mind, one heart to glorify the name that's above every name. There's no other name under heaven that we need to glorify but the name of Jesus. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him to us, which give us all things. And it's only right to give you all the glory and all the praise. And we thank you for today, Father. We thank you for the word that's going to come. And Lord, we love our life, not for ourselves, but unto death, because of the precious blood of Jesus. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Awesome worship. You can be seated. Hit the lights, please. Thank you. Kids, you can be released into the wild. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. We've got Kids Club upstairs. Um, if you have prams and you can't settle them, you can go upstairs as well. It's streamed upstairs. Um, I've got an announcement, guys. Just um, so you please, as the kids leave. Starting from next week, because um, what we do here in this facility, we have, we're blessed that we can have these facilities upstairs and downstairs, so make your life easier. Kids can be taught upstairs the word of the Lord and, and the room is upstairs. But um, from next week onwards, uh, there's, there's another group coming in that need the room upstairs. So if you were here last year, we had to finish and be out of there by six. So what happens is from next week for the next four weeks, um, the kids club will be still going, but we have to get them out of the room and the room has to be empty by six o'clock. So all that means is, and we have um, Rita and the girls that, we'll bring all the kids down by quarter, quarter to ten to six and everyone has to come downstairs. Downstairs we can stay as long as we want, but upstairs has to be released so they can um, get ready for the next uh, group that um, use it for the next four weeks. So this is what's going to happen. Everyone say next week, next Sunday. We're going to start 4.30 sharp. Like we were meant to do for the last three years. <laughs> the reason being is uh, we want to start on time, not so much to get out of here, but to get everyone upstairs so we don't rob anyone's time. So that should be plenty of time. So that's for the next four weeks. So we're going to start 4.30 on the dot. Worship will start 4.30. If you're late, you're going to miss worship. Um, and obviously it gives us time. So when the kids do come down, it's game over. There's not much happening after that, all right? So, and then praise God. You see how many kids we've got upstairs. It's amazing. So God's doing a, a work in that new generation. Amen? So next week, we're starting 4.30 on the dot. If you have kids that are upstairs, I'll speak to the girls. Either they'll bring them down or you go and get them and bring them down. And they can run amok downstairs. doesn't matter how long we stay downstairs. All right? just to give honour for, for the facility that let us use the place, and it should be fine. Um, other than that, a few people have asked me, the rabbis would have seen the post that we sent some money over to um, Zambia for, the, the, for, to build the, to, for them to buy a property there and build a church over there um, in the house. It's been a blessing. Thank you for those who gave. You can still give. A lot of people have asked us. We don't do a lot of offering messages here and things like that, but listen, if you want to give and it's on your heart, there's a box at the back where it's got my name on it. No, joking. He sent his word. Um, if you want to give electronically, come and see us. You can put it straight into an account. Um, but um, we're big on God speaking to you about the needs of what we do here. And obviously, we trust God every day what we do. So if it's on your heart to give, there's the box. Come and see us if you want to give. Some people already do that. Um, and the only time we really sort of push this idea, if we want to help someone, we've been, this little group has blessed so many people around the world in Lebanon and Bangladesh and Brazil and the Philippines and now Zambia. And, and um, so, you know, Jesus is in control. He's our provider. And, 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 and don't think it's yours, it's his. So you hear from the Holy Spirit as to what you do. And um, so that, that's... If you, need to, if you want to do that, a few people have asked me. I said, yep, come and see us. Other than that, um, I don't think there's any more announcements. Um, you don't have to say anything else? Someone's looking at me with funny eyes. No? Awesome. Well, can we stand, please? We're going to... 
As I, as I said earlier, a heart of expectation to hear the man of God speak. So we're going to, Pastor Dorian's going to share the word. So give him a round of applause. Bless you. Thanks, Pastor Tony. Thanks, Pastor Tony. Evening, everyone. Good to see you all. Why don't you just open your hands to the Lord. We'll pray. Thank you, mighty God. That your word is a double-edged sword that it encourages, sometimes it cuts, but we're better for it. And we pray that, we ask that you have your way with us tonight. We open our hearts, Lord, to receive so that we can move forward to what you've called us to, individually and as a body, as a house. We're expectant, we're thankful for your word, what you're going to do tonight. We love you, Holy Spirit. I pray my words will be yours. The meeting is yours. We love you and we welcome you. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. So, um, I'm going to touch on the wilderness and I was praying during the week and I was saying, Lord, you know, I really want them to get, to feel what it was like in the wilderness, which is, you know, another word for desert. So um, God answered me with a 40 degree day. <laughs> so we're going to turn the aircon off just so this message really hits home. So I want to start off um, by honouring Pastor Rabs and Pastor Tony. Um, the Bible says that those who lead well are worthy of double honour. And I can't think of two um, pastors and leaders of a church who are more worthy of double honour. And that's, that's the thing about honour. The person doesn't even have to be worthy of it. We're to give it to them. Um, because God's put them over us. And as Pastor Tony said, the, the moment we stop honouring is the moment we stop receiving. And um, keep that door open through honour. And I love that he says double honour. So that even if your honour slips a little bit, you're still in honour. <laughs> that way you'll never fall out of that place where you're receiving from our amazing leaders. So um, can we thank God for them? Amen. So Jesus sets a pretty high bar. If you, if you read the Gospels, um, there's definitely, you get this idea that he, there's this upward call, that Jesus, everyone he meets is calling them upwards. Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say, you know, come, on, come to church on Sunday, sing to me, pray to me. He says, follow me. And so what does it mean to, to follow him? Like, is, Can we actually follow him and follow his walk? Or was Jesus just being kind of, um, what do you call it, hyperbolic when he said that? Right? Is Jesus stepping back saying, <laughs> I told him to follow me and look at him try. Yeah, good luck. Or does he actually mean when he says follow me, that we can actually follow him. I don't think it's a setup. I don't think Jesus is setting us up. I think if the invitation is follow me, it's because we actually can. And Jesus is talking about the potential of a spirit-filled believer, the potential, your potential, who you are in God. And it's not so much who you are, but who he is in you. The deposit of the Holy Spirit in you that makes it possible to follow him and to be conformed to the image of Christ because that's what we're called to be. Not to, you know, just try our best and hope that, you know, wherever the chips fall, we've done enough. That's not our call. Our call is you're made in God's image 
You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven for the past. Now you, you can actually look like him. Walk like him. Love like him. Talk like him. He says amazing things. He says, whoever believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. That one always like, wow. You'll do the same works and greater. And an example of that when I was reading the Bible recently was Peter's shadow. I don't know that Jesus' shadow ever healed anyone, but Peter's did. And so that is the potential of a spirit-filled believer, that you would walk as Christ walked. I love that, you know, the rich young ruler, when Jesus encounters him, he doesn't say, uh, the rich young ruler says, you know, I've kept, I've kept all the laws, you know, and um, Jesus doesn't say, man, you've, you've done amazing, like, um, that's good enough, I think, you know, like, done better than... You've done better than most. Like that's, I'd say that's a 98%. Like, I haven't seen that yet. But he doesn't say that. He actually says, there's still one, one thing. You lack one thing. Let's get this thing addressed. Because it's, it's an upward call. There's no, um, there's no resignation in God's call. It's a, f- a full call that every single one of us is invited into. And it means your life really matters. That's, that's the main thing. And this message is going to challenge us, but it's not meant to condemn us, right? So when I'm talking about this stuff, it's, it's actually exciting. It's God's invitation for us. It's not meant to say, oh man, we're, we're falling short. It's not God making de- impossible demands of us. It's actually God saying, man, I have so much faith in you and, and who is in you that you can actually walk this out. Now, that, I find that really encouraging. I don't find that condemning. I find it really encouraging. And this is not what the world says. You know, the, sh- the, the world will say, shoot for the moon and, um, and even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. That's not God. God actually, when he says it, he means you can actually reach it. You can reach it. And so we're not just coming to Christ for a smoother ride. We're coming to Christ to look like him. Amen? And people, people might hear a message like this and say, man, that uh, doesn't sound a bit legalistic. Like, you know, isn't it? Aren't you pushing behavior modification here and we're under grace, not under the law? And I'm like, um, of course we're under grace. And of course, we're, we're saved by faith and not by works. We understand that. But so often in the Bible, like two truths are held in tension at the same time. So Jesus Christ was fully God and he was fully man. They're both true. And, and it, someone could say, well, they contradict each other, but it doesn't. They're, they're both held together as truth. And so similar here, people can get into this mindset and say, yeah, but we're always going to sin. What are you saying? Like, you didn't sin today? What are you saying? You're perfect? Come on, brother, we're, we're always going to sin. And you know what it says in John, if he says he has no sin, he's a liar. And you can hold on to that truth because, in a sense, that is true. But neglect the other side of it, which is that God has actually called us to perfection. And he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, well these are two truths held in tension they're both true. And if anything, I believe this, <laughs> this one a little bit more. But we can so often r- rely on a scripture like that and use it to justify our sin or our failure to progress. It's interesting when, when John says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But just two or three lines down, he says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. He's not saying you're always going to sin. He's actually saying, yes, there's truth in that, right? We will, fall f- we will fall from time to time, absolutely. But he's saying that. He doesn't say 
I'm writing these sins so that uh, when you sin, he says, so that you may not sin. And he says, he goes on, the next line is, if you sin. He doesn't say when you sin, as though it's just signed, sealed and delivered. You're just going to have this sin mindset forever, no. This isn't about doing. This isn't about doing good things for God. It's not about works. It's actually about becoming. Not about doing. It's about becoming who God's called us to be. So we often, and I got these props. I didn't really um, think it through, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and if anyone has a dog, feel free to come and grab these off me afterwards because um, I don't have a dog and I think... They're meant for dogs. So, we go through life and we pick up different things along the way. And, um, is that going to fit over me? Yeah, I think so. And um, we come to Christ and we, we have this amazing encounter with God. Maybe someone preaches the gospel to you. Maybe you encounter Jesus in your bedroom. You're in church. I don't know what it is. Um, Maybe it's, it's one of those really dramatic salvation moments or maybe it's just a quiet moment where what you've felt all along you now know to be true, that God exists and that he loves you. Maybe it's a healing, whatever it might be. But it's like we have this moment where this big thing we've been carrying and it's our past, it's our sin, it's our brokenness, it's our healing. It's like it falls off. And we're so excited and we're so zealous and we're so thankful to God that um, we've, we've come into a place, we've maybe even been baptised and we've, we've had this born again experience and we know we're new. And it's amazing what God has taken off us, that he's forgiven everything, our whole past and we can stand in relationship with him, in a, in a, in a right relationship with him, it's incredible. And then Beyond that, beyond baptism, you know, you start your walk with Christ and you realize it's challenging and you can get into this place in between where it's like, man, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I know I'm meant to be either. And you live in this in-between place and it's like, I've come so far. Like, look where I used to be. And I'm not just talking about sin here either. But it's like you're looking at Jesus and you're like, man, I've still got so far to go. But what is this in-between place? What's, what's it designed for? How do we get through it? How do we survive it? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. So it's this place where sometimes as believers, after that initial salvation experience fades, and, I, and I'm not speaking that over anyone, I, I hope you maintain your zeal, right? But you get into this place where it's like, I'm not moving backward anymore, but I'm not moving forward either. And you can feel like you're in spiritual neutral. And that's a dangerous place. And I've seen it hundreds, dare to even say thousands of times where people fall away. People have that amazing encounter with God, but they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And they got into this place and some time passed and they drifted and they're not in the Lord anymore. And there's different reasons why. Maybe you thought it would be different. Maybe you thought, man, if I come to the Lord, he's going to make my life better. And you didn't realize that you're actually, you've actually come to Christ and his, his invitation is to die, to pick up your cross and follow him. And it's not about just making your dreams come true, it's actually making his dreams come true. So what happens? I mean, let's think of the, think of the ten lepers. Leprosy was the, the worst disease you could have in Jesus' time and 10 lepers get healed by Jesus and only one comes back. Now I think about the other nine. Maybe they still believe, they knew what Jesus did for them. 
Maybe they still even um, shared it from time to time. And maybe they believed they were, you know, we love the Lord. He healed us of leprosy. But where are they? Jesus is making a point that only one of them came back. Only one of them came back to follow Jesus. And it's scary how many people have extraordinary testimonies that end up, I don't know where they end up. And a lot of the time, we could end up so focused on where we've come from that we've lost focus of where we're going. And a lot of people are testimony focused. And so let me tell you what, what God has done in my life, which is amazing, and we should be sharing our testimonies, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But there comes a time where you're not focused on your testimony anymore and what God has done, but what he's actually called you to. And Christ becomes your focus and not where you've come from. And I think it's, it signifies maturity when you actually stop talking about your testimony because you don't need your testimony to show people what God has done. You're actually walking in it. That's what I love about Pastor Tony and Pastor Rabs. Like, I don't even know their testimonies. I mean, I know, I don't think Pastor Tony's shared his. It's a secret. <laughs> and I know Pastor Ravi's testimony, it's the craziest testimony I've ever heard. But I love that he's beyond his testimony. He doesn't get up here every week and share his testimony. He's walking his testimony out. How amazing is that? So that's, I'm going to talk about some dangers of this in-between place, and that's one of them, that you're testimony-focused, and, and, and look where I've come from, but you're still, you're still carrying a bunch of other stuff. And you can come to people and be like, man, let me tell you what Jesus has done, and that's awesome, right? Because people will hear that, and we should preach the gospel. But people are hearing your testimony, but looking at the other stuff you're carrying and going. And there's grace for that. I'm not saying you shouldn't share your, your, the gospel or your, your testimony until you're perfect. But this is about encouraging us forward, right? So you can think, I've, I've grown enough, man. I know most of my friends are still back there and, and I've come so far. And you can actually... Um, getting to that place of resignation, which is my second point. Now you can say, I've done enough. Like, if you, knew, if you knew where I came from, you'd see what God has done in my life. Or you can get into a place where you say, well, maybe this is all there is, and these things, I'm just going to have to live with these. Like, I've tried um, whatever they are, unforgiveness, offence, lust, whatever it might be, like, I've, I've, I've conquered some things over there and I just, maybe these things, I've just got to live with them. And they're just a part of me and it's so hard to, to change. And these become part of the furniture of your existence and part of the furniture in your spirit. And so you can actually get to a place where you settle. You settle with what God never wanted you to settle with. Stuff that's out of his will, but you carry it around thinking, it's just how it's going to be. Can't, can't get beyond this. Could be discouragement. The third one is pride. I can take these off now. That in-between place, I, sp I spoke to a guy a few weeks ago, and he goes, man, I want to talk to you. I said, yeah. He said, um, I've got a, a friend of mine, we, we, we go out all the time, and he's not in a good place. You know, he's actually, like, cheating on his wife, and, um, you know, I, I, this guy goes to church every week, and he's like, you know, I, I'm, I don't cheat, um, you know, I lust and stuff, but I don't cheat. And um, I'm just wondering, like, what should I say to this guy? And, um, and I said, well, why don't you just, maybe you hanging out with him, is actually encouraging him, but why don't we talk about what's going on in, in your heart rather than what's going on in his heart? 
because Jesus says that if you last, you're committing adultery. So don't you worry about him, why don't you worry about you? But it struck me that um, he'd, he'd come so far where he, he got into this place where he's actually judging other believers because he thought he'd, um, he'd progressed so much in this area and he was like, I can, I can tolerate a bit of lust. Like, I can tolerate the lust. At least I'm not doing that. And that's, you can get into that dangerous place in this space in between. And where you tolerate the sin in yourself or you tolerate it in others. And when I talk about sin, I'm not talking about, man, let's modify our behaviours. The sin is just a symptom of something else going on inside. Sin is a symptom saying there's something going on with our identity or with our belief system, but we're not believing who God has called us to be. There's a glitch in our system and it's manifesting itself as sin, but sin itself isn't the issue. It's, it's what is causing the sin to manifest that is the issue. So, the other thing that can happen in this space in between is you, you have a double allegiance. So, God is awesome and you believe, but he's, you've kind of incorporated him into your life. So, you're still going about living out your dream, going after the things you want, going after the things of the world, but now you go to church on Sundays, pray that God will give you the things you're chasing, and, um, and you believe that, you know, you're going to be okay when the trumpet blows, because you've been saved. And that's a dangerous place, because you can actually stop progressing. And that's not the call of Christ. The call of Christ isn't to have enough of Jesus to be saved, but to go on living your life as though you're not saved. You can have a hardened heart, that's a big one, where the stubborn knots remain. You can get very comfortable. And I love what Paul says. Paul says, don't dwell in the past, forget the former things. And we love that scripture when he's talking about the bad things in our past. Well, I actually think he's talking about the good things as well. He's actually talking about the victories you've had in Christ. Don't, don't dwell in the past. Come on, let's, let's move forward. Let's keep moving forward. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12. The Lord led me here and um, I kind of stumbled across it a few days ago. And I think this summarized the condition really well. It said, it will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who, like old wine, are stagnant in spirit. Who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. What I want to highlight there is that idea of being stagnant in spirit. Stagnant in spirit. And the last line really got me as well, where it's like, you know, God's not going to do good and he's not going to do evil. Like, you know, I'm just in this place. Like God's, he's done some, some things, but I don't know. I just feel stuck. Stagnant in spirit. So let me describe that from the dictionary. It says, not flowing or running like water. Stale or foul from standing as a pool of water. Characterized by lack of development, advancement or progress. Inactive, sluggish or dull. Now, we can all get in that place. I've been in that place. So I'm not here to, to, to condemn anyone. But let's get out of it if we're there. And we often have this idea of a plateau. If you're in the gym working out... If you're trying to lose weight, whatever it might be, it's like, man, I've plateaued. You know, initially, stuff's happening, stuff's happening real quick. I'm, I'm putting on the muscle real quick or I'm losing, you know, I lost five kilos in the first two weeks or whatever and then nothing for the next six months. 
called a plateau. And you can actually plateau spiritually. And it's amazing when we're born again how much we grow. And I think of a newborn baby. You know, they come and weigh the baby every few days to make sure it's, it's, um, it's gaining weight. But it's gaining weight because it's growing so fast. And you have that newborn experience and you're, you're growing. You're growing so fast. And, and stuff's falling off you and stuff's changing. But eventually, the plateau, you'll experience that plateau. And I, I liken that plateau to the wilderness. It's like... The children of Israel come out of bondage. They're out of Egypt. Man, that was the biggest weight they were carrying. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And if only we could get out of this place. If only we could get to our promised land. And it comes off. It actually comes off them. And then they find themselves wandering around the desert for 40 years. And God says... I put you there so that you'd see what was in your heart. That's the reason God gives. Put you in the wilderness so that you'd see what what was in your heart. So 40 years, grumbling, complaining, worshipping idols. Talk about stagnant. Talk about neither moving forward nor going back. In between where I used to be in bondage. In between that place and the promised land for 40 years. Amazing in that that place, God's provision still comes. His mercy still comes. His presence still comes. So this isn't... This isn't you isolated from God. God is still there. He's in the midst. He's in the middle of the wilderness. He's in the middle of that in-between place. But he's saying, there's a work that I'm trying to do in this place. This in-between place has purpose. If you're feeling stagnant, well, there's, there can be purpose in that. You can come out of it. And God is trying to do a work in you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 19. Let's read it. This is about, this is Paul writing, and he says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as on the day of trial in the wilderness. God brought them out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness grumbling, and they actually say to Moses, Man, it would have been better if we were back in Egypt. At least we had meat and food there, even though God was providing for them in the wilderness. Where your fathers put me to the test. They're in the wilderness because God is, it's a test for them and for what's in their heart, but they're actually testing God. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation And said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. Just go up a little bit. Yep. So it says, take care, brothers and sisters, that there there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end. That's what I want to highlight. We have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end the beginning of our commitment our baptism our born again experience whatever that looked like we've got to keep that alive we've got to keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end and it's so often in that wilderness place for commitment to wane 
Let's keep going. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of, say it with me, unbelief. So why are they still in the wilderness? Paul says, because of unbelief. Why haven't they got to where they wanted to go yet? Because of unbelief. What's God keeping them in the wilderness for? We said they're there so they could see what was in their heart. What does he want them to see? Unbelief. Now just scroll back up a bit. What does he say? Paul here is highlighting the danger of unbelief. And I love the amplified version because it says the peril of unbelief. And so when you're in that place in between, when you're in that wilderness season, when you're in that neither here nor there place, the thing that God is trying to expose and God is trying to heal and God is trying to bring his word into is that place of unbelief. And like I said, sin isn't the issue. You can be trying to exercise willpower over your sin. You can be cutting off the branches of sin. But the root is unbelief. So let's say you're, something you're struggling with is um, money. Jesus spoke about money more than anything else. He spoke about money more than he did sexual immorality. So, if Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil, so what's the real issue behind the love of money? What, what, what unbelief is behind the love of money? And it could be different for everyone. I, I wrote a few down here. Maybe the unbelief is God's not going to provide or he's not going to provide on time. Maybe it's, um, I can't trust God as my security. I need to find security somewhere else. Maybe it's God doesn't care. Or maybe it's, I can't be content in God alone. But that's the thing. God puts you in that wilderness place to find out for yourself. Where he says, hey, these things, let's go deeper. Let the Holy Spirit, the counsellor, come and show you what it is for you so that you can actually move forward. So I've covered this, but we'll touch on it again. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1 says, and you sh he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you there 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. You know what, I, what struck me about this? Oh. Is it verse 2? It's alright, I've got it here. He says, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. You know what that means? What is in your heart will determine whether you keep his commandments. So how important is it for us to know what's in our heart? 
And I love what, what Pastor Rab said during the week when we, he was talking about demonic altars and he's, he did this thing where he was like, I had my ear to my heart and he was trying to reach his ear with his heart. But it's like that's, that's what we're encouraged to do. Find out what's going on in your heart. You know, what do they do in, in hospitals? Is it an EEG or something, ECG? The, the Holy Spirit is a spiritual ECG. Diagnose what's going on in your heart. <clears throat> so if you've plateaued, let the Holy Spirit do a heart checkup. Why? Were they there for 40 years? Because they wouldn't look. 40 years. They're dying. And he's like, hey, check, check the ticker. I'm, you're in this place. It's a test. You can get through it. You can be victorious. But I want you to see what's going on in your heart before I let you into the promised land. Because what's the point of me letting you into the promised land if you're not ready to receive what I have for you there? What's the point of God giving you the promotion if you can't steward it yet? When it can actually destroy you. Jesus has this dramatic, amazing encounter when he's baptized by John. Heavens open, the Holy Spirit comes down, audible voice of God, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Same place that the children of Israel were in says God led them there and here we have Jesus he's just had this mighty encounter with the father spirit leads him into the wilderness none of us can bypass that place there's a spirit there's a time where the spirit will lead you in the wilderness some people are just getting there some people have come through it some people are still there but you can't bypass it. And it's there for you to see what's in your heart. And again, Jesus shows us how it's done. They're there 40 years, he's there 40 days. They're there defeated by the enemy. They're there getting bitten by snakes. He's there defeating the enemy. Why? Because his heart when he looked at his heart, he read the word of God. The devil comes, tempts him, and he responds with the word of God. At baptism, when God spoke, it was like the word came over him. This is my beloved son. And it's the same with you when you start your journey. The word of God comes over you. But in the wilderness, the word came out of him. And so when you're in the wilderness, the word starts to come out of you. When you're a newborn, it comes over you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You're learning the word. God says, you're ready for the wilderness. Ready for the word to come out of you, not just wash over you and what's fascinating to me is that Jesus the three scriptures that Jesus uses to defeat the enemy or to rebuff him are scriptures from Deuteronomy which was all about the children of Israel in the wilderness just before they entered the promised land Three scriptures from Deuteronomy. <clears throat> we know that a 
As soon as you start your war, the attack's imminent. Jesus was about to enter his ministry and the devil came. Why? To sidetrack him. See if he can find anything in him. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. This is the scripture that Jesus quotes. Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's all he says. He doesn't say the second bit, but this is the actual scripture he's saying from Deuteronomy. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa, which is when they grumbled in the wilderness. So Jesus is showing us that there is victory in that place. You don't have to stay in that place of in-between. You don't have to stay in that neutral. You can move forward by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. And so, I'm here to encourage you to get excited. There's... you. You might have looked at yourself as a work in progress, but you've stopped progressing. And it's like, no, there's more. Don't settle. There's more of God. There's more He wants to pour into you. There's more, there's more for you to grow. So Jesus is saying, when He says, follow me, follow me, I'll show you the way out of the wilderness. Matthew chapter 17. Well, let's hold that for a sec. What was Jesus doing in the wilderness? We know he was fasting. We know he was praying. So, I know we speak about that a lot here. And maybe it can seem like it's on rotate that encouragement but you know what Paul says Paul actually says in one of his letters I don't know off the top of my head where he says I know I'm repeating these things over and over again but he says it's actually a safeguard for you Paul says hey there's certain things we repeat but it's a safeguard for you and that encouragement to fasting and prayer Again, this isn't a religious activity that we're asking you to just, we just do in this club. <laughs> this isn't a condition of membership. This is for you to see what's in your heart, to identify that unbelief and to actually move forward. So let's talk about prayer and fasting for a second. Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. Jesus is meeting this epileptic boy, and his father's like, have mercy on us. He's got a spirit, throws him into the fire, trying to kill him. And the father says, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't, they couldn't heal him. And Jesus heals him. And we'll pick it up at verse 19. Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. And the disciples come to him and they say, they came to Jesus and asked privately, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Next line. You got it? However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Can you go back to the previous slide for a sec? Jesus says... The problem is your unbelief. This demon wouldn't shift, wouldn't budge because of the unbelief. So, a few lines down, he's given us the solution. It doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. So, what's the solution to unbelief? Prayer and fasting. 
<clears throat> Let's go to Mark chapter 2. Yeah. Just scroll down. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep, yeah. The Pharisees, um, they come to Jesus and they say, well, someone, no, the disciples of John. They came to Jesus and they said, why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they, ca they can't fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom, Jesus, will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be poured into new wineskins. I always read that scripture out of context. But when you understand that when Jesus, talking of, Jesus is talking about pouring new wine into new wineskins, he's talking about fasting. So what, is, what does fasting do? Fasting creates that new wineskin in you. Again, it deals with that unbelief so that God can pour more in, more of his new wine. Do we believe that God wants to pour new wine into us? Yeah? So, go back now to that Zephaniah scripture. Chapter 1, verse 12. Halfway down. Those who, like old wine, are stagnant in spirit who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. That stagnant in spirit is representative of old wine. And Jesus says, I want to pour new wine. And he gave us the key to that in the previous scripture, through prayer and fasting. That that's what deals with the unbelief which pours out that old wine, repairs that wineskin, makes it new and enables him to pour that new wine in. <clears throat> so, the other amazing thing is, when he's talking about um, prayer and fasting, and he says this doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. I love what Jesus says, and you don't have to put it up on the screen. He says, you couldn't do it because of your unbelief, but... Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And I'll link that back to what I said at the beginning, that so many people can think, no, it's impossible to, to walk like Christ. It's impossible to, to live like him. But here, he's talking about unbelief, He's talking about prayer and fasting and in the middle he says nothing will be impossible for you. And that is true, that nothing is impossible. Don't ever get into that place where you think Jesus is just an example and we've got to try our best. And I used to be at 30% and now I'm at 60% and that's got to be good enough. No. He says it's not impossible. Nothing will be impossible. What an incredible encouragement. You can overcome unbelief, he says. You can be changed. You can be renewed. Those things that have, you've carried and they just feel like they're just a part of you and, and they're part of your flesh and you can't shift them. They can be dealt with once and for all. Let's never get into that place of defeat. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit whispered this to me just before I left home and I wrote it down. 
I was thinking about the promised land and he said, everywhere is the promised land when your heart is right. Everywhere is the promised land when your heart is right. Because the promised land no longer becomes a destination. It no longer becomes a place. It no longer becomes an objective. It's who you are. They thought it was about getting into a place, getting into the kingdom, getting into the promised land, but it's getting that place into you. It's about getting the kingdom of God into you. It's about getting the promised land into you. So you can change locations, you can be in a prison cell like Paul was, but you're still in the promised land because the promised land is in you. So I'll finish just two encouragements. I know we're, we're running out of time, but one thing Paul warns us of, he says, when he's talking about the peril of unbelief, he says, continually encourage each other every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened. We need each other. One of the ways people get taken out in that in-between place is by isolating themselves. And thinking, I know enough of the Bible now, I don't need church. But we need each other. It's the way God designed it. And I felt that as a warning um, as well. That to, this is for someone, to watch out who you're walking with. Because you, you don't know where they're leading you. And... The people you're walking with have a, have a culture. And if you're not careful, their culture can become the culture of your heart. And so the question the Holy Spirit left me with is what, is, what is the prevailing culture of your heart? What is that prevailing culture of your heart? And that's where the Holy Spirit wants to take you to undo that prevailing culture and put his kingdom culture in there. Amen? Amen. Let's, <clears throat> let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible with you. And when we say that, we're not talking about circumstances, even though it's true about that as well. But we're talking about what you've called us to and who you've called us to become in you. Who you are in us. That the potential of a spirit-filled believer is unlimited that you take us into that wilderness to show us that. To test us. To deal with us. So that we can overcome. As you overcome the world. Thank you Lord for each one here tonight. In that place of in between. In that neutral place. In that stagnant place. Right now, the shift comes. Thank you that eyes have been opened tonight for people to locate where they are, to be encouraged that there is more. Not to settle for what's been, not to settle for the accomplishments, not to settle for the victories, but to keep pressing on toward the upward call of Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
you, Lord, you break that mindset of it's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. Thank you for that your mercy and your grace come into that place. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And the Lord will complete that good work he started in you. No matter how hard, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how inconvenient it might be. We thank you for surrendered hearts tonight. Amen. The altar is open if anyone would like prayer. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you next week.